Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing podcast. I'm your host, Ty DeGrange, and I am just slightly excited to talk to a good friend, Andrew Cavato, today. What's up, Andrew? What's up, Ty? Thanks for having me on here. And uh, I have to say, I love the podcast name, Always Be Testing. I can't tell you how many times I've said those exact words in various roles. So you have knocked it out of the park with that framing of the material here. So I'm excited to get into it, man. Love it, man. Appreciate it. And uh, I have to, I'm just going to throw out more compliments. Your new firm, is it Growth Science? Is that right? Growth by Science. We grow using science. Growth by science. Yes, sir. I have to just throw a compliment your way also. Kind of, I feel like we're of a similar mindset because the naming on that is, is stellar in my opinion. Thank you. Heck yeah. Love science, man. It's a passion. And I think that it is, you know, testing and science go hand in hand. I think we're, we're definitely going to get into that. So excited to, excited to talk about that. Love it. So for folks that don't know, Andrew is kind of a badass and a great guy and, and very scientific in what he's, uh, how he's approached things and how he's approached ad tech and growth. He has worked on the buy side and the sell side of various ad platforms. He's got a ton of measurement experience, a ton of data experience, a ton of, ton of team building experience. And with some brands that maybe you've heard of, Netflix, Snap, Google, eBay, Meta, just a few to name, no big deal. Yeah, I've had uh, a lot of great fortune, a lot of great companies to, to work for. So I'm, I'm really grateful for all those experiences. Heck yeah, man. So maybe maybe like to kick things off to make it super easy for folks to understand kind of what you do. Maybe could you share if we if the audience was a fifth grader, what do you do? Yeah, great question. And it's always hard to articulate you know, such a nuanced topic like ads measurement, but uh, we'll, we'll give it a go here. Companies want to sell their products and services. And in order for them to sell their products and services, they need to talk about their products and services and share them and, and you know, inform people that these things exist and that they can be bought. And so they spend money to have their products and services be put in front of people that they think will potentially buy their products. So what I do uh, primarily is help those companies understand if the money that they're spending on promoting their products and services are actually resulting in people buying things that they would not have bought otherwise, that they would not have bought except for the fact that they saw those ads. And so that's really what it kind of boils down to. It boils down to ROI, but specifically into to get a little bit outside of the fifth grader into the jargony world, I focus specifically on incremental ROI and and figuring out how to calculate that. And so there's a lot of math and methodology that's that goes along with it, and a lot of technology that goes along with it as well. And then, you know, believe it or not, a lot of politics <laughs> is 
especially as it comes to, you know, talking about how to implement and how to, how to change the way the perspective on, on, on media buying. It's a lot of politics involved in that too. So uh, it's weirdly Love it. a specific niche area that has, I think, actually uh, broader economic implications. For sure. I love this because it's something that comes up so often for people engaging in ad buying as you, we've seen this explosion of digital where everything can be measured and people get super excited about that. Yet, unfortunately, as you and I know, just so many brands actually do it wrong, are chasing the wrong things, are seeing that they're either fretting about a lot of that spend not being incremental and not maybe be able to act on it almost to a fault. Some of them are are able to actually get it right. And so many just, just don't have the visibility that they want. And um, and there's there's partners and internal and external teams that don't always see it, nor can they act on it. So for you to be able to talk about it, educate people about it, cut through the noise is, is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, visibility, you mentioned that. It's really interesting because I think there's a trade-off with having access to more data in a lot of ways inspires people to do dumb things when it comes to measurement. And, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll this will come up a lot in our discussion, but privacy and a lot of the changes with uh, regulatory changes and OS changes like ATT have, have sort of killed a lot of the data accessibility that marketers enjoyed in the past. I thought that that would result in people kind of going to, to more smart measurement methodologies and, and tooling and things like that. And it, and it has to, to a certain extent, but I don't think we've evolved as much as, uh, as I think we could evolve. And so really what I'm trying to do today is, is help move that along a little bit and encourage more platforms, marketers, you know, really the whole ecosystem to lean into some of these, these more appropriate methodologies versus things that, that maybe won't give you the right visibility into that ROAS or to that incremental ROAS, incremental ROI. Absolutely. And maybe a good segue, what are you seeing as some of those things that people are getting wrong about incrementality testing or that incremental ROI that you're speaking of? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that they're getting wrong is they're not doing it. (laughs) There's there's still a, you know, SKAD network, last touch, you know, anything that's that's kind of a a post-exposure attribution. So what I mean by that is you look to assign credit to a marketing channel based on you know, a, a touch point that a user has had and a subsequent conversion and, and you're assigning credit based on, on, on that pathway. That's, first of all, pretty broken in a post-ATT world, app track transparency uh, for, for those who aren't super familiar with that, which is basically Apple's way of shutting down the ability to make those path to conversion connections. So there's there's a, a anybody that's that's looking at post-exposure is not doing incrementality. That's number one. Now, for those that are doing incrementality, I think a lot of people get kind of afraid that there's this opportunity cost. And so they they kind of dip their toe in. They don't really go all in on it. They maybe do a test here and there. There isn't a lot of structure around it. Maybe they're trying a lot of different tools and and, and kind of switching tools and and this and that. I think it's really important to, to pick a tool, pick a methodology, stick with it, invest the time, have a structured testing approach. And, and really, you know, not, not dabble in it a little bit, but make it the center of your marketing program and the center of how you assess the performance of your marketing. Love that. It's not something that you can just, it, it's not an afterthought and it's not easy to do. 
And so it shouldn't be an afterthought, but, but really getting, getting the, the organization around that culture of testing and incrementality, that's the foundation of everything. And then, you know, those other things that I said, the structured learning agenda and, and, you know, commitment to the testing sort of follows from that. But if you don't have that foundation and you don't, you don't have buy-in from leadership and people are, are doubting that that's even a good place to start, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of, you've lost before you've even gotten off the ground. Well said, and maybe a good segue, you know, talking about the Netflix experience a little bit and how you kind of built out that paid growth engine. You touched on so many interesting things there, like education, leadership, buy-in, alignment, uh, culture of testing, but not to like um, take the words out of your mouth, but like how did you kind of approach that Netflix experience in, in, in your thoughts? I mean, Netflix was was a, a phenomenal experience for me uh, working there. It was the first time that I worked on the buy side in, in, a, in a big way. Everything that you mentioned, like everything that, that we were kind of talking about as it relates to incrementality was totally at the core of, of what we were doing at Netflix. Um, but, but first of all, I mean, Netflix, for those who don't know or, or aren't familiar, is inherently a very test-heavy culture. And they test everything. And I love it. It's, you know, if you read their culture doc, which is available, you know, online and, you know, there's books written about it as well. But really, there's a lot of kind of solicitation of dissent, kind of the peer review process, which a lot of what I put into growth by science is our ethos. I've kind of borrowed from that um, and, and taken the things I've loved from that. But but yeah, there's a, this great culture of, of being scientific. And I don't think they actually call it out, but there's testing, there's updating your priors with new information, soliciting dissent, disagreeing, committing. There's all those kind of themes that that relate back to being a, scient- a scientist and having a scientific mindset that are at the core of Netflix. And that's why taking that cultural foundation, translating into the marketing side, it was, it was the, the best possible Petri dish to develop a, a really, truly scientific paid growth program. Love it. And, and so, you know, I, I still believe that to this day, I still think Netflix is one of, if not the top performance marketer that, that exists out there from, you know, from a sophistication perspective. You know, what we built was was what I would say it, it should be the North Star for all performance marketers out there. And of course, you know, Netflix is going to have tons of bells and, bells and whistles, and I'll mention a little bit of what that kind of looked like. But this general direction of what they've done is, I think, what a lot of all growth marketers, I think, should be aspiring to to get as close to that as they can, given the resources and size. And so, what we what we built there essentially had a cross-platform uh, media buying tool, which we built bespoke in-house to the way that we were buying media. Connected all with the APIs, it was just as good, if not better. Some of the tech that I've seen at, at agencies or you know third-party buying platforms, and and we had this all in-house. We had testing automation built into that. We had uh, uh, learning agendas that we would want to put forth that help guide our, our marketing decisions. And we had that built into the uh, optimization and into the deployment engine. All of that fed back into our, our in-house buying, uh, sorry, our, our in-house measurement mm-hmm. uh, tooling, which was built by you know some of the smartest folks in industry. And funny enough, back then, what that entailed, what that measurement platform entailed is a lot of what you see a lot of the the best incrementality tooling out there uh, is sort of doing something similar. And some of that that great tooling that's out there, a lot of it uses geotesting to inform an MMM, media mix model, that's more of an econometric model, can be always on without having holdouts. And so I think, you know, that's that's a fantastic uh, set of tools for for growth marketers to, to kind of look at. So all of this tied together, we had this, this feedback loop and 
you know, one of the, the, the most exciting things from, from that whole tech investment that we made and, and that great kind of MarTech stack and, and, and growth stack was that we got some fantastic insights about what worked and what didn't work. And a lot of it, you know, was very surprising and I would say antithetical to what platforms and, and sort of uh, common knowledge uh, growth principles were and what the platforms were telling us to do. But it worked. And that and goes to show you that if you invest in incrementality, you measure things from an incremental causal perspective, and, and you, will, you will find that the way that you buy media can be totally different from what's out there. And I happen to have a, a perspective not solely informed on you know, the work we did in Netflix, but really informed on all of the research that I've seen and that I've personally conducted, you know, even with clients today at Growth by Science, on what a good approach to growth marketing is. And I think it's a lot simpler than, than what people think. So uh, I'll tell you my, my principles. I mean, I think it's a good time. I'll just, I'll just share them. Yeah, drop them on us, baby. Let's go. Great creative, number one. You've got to have great creative. It's got to be bespoke to the platform that you're using it. You got to nail your targeting and only rely on first party targeting. A lot of the other targeting is, is sort of broken, third party data exchanging, all of that to assume it's broken or will be broken soon enough. So rely on, you know, kind of platform targeting, especially if you're doing, if you're doing something like paid social, optimize for reach and frequency. Don't look at any conversion optimization. You know, and this is the spicy one. I'm sure you're going to get some people that that really you know come back <laughs> yes. and say, "No, this dude's off his rocker." Yeah. But I can I can promise you, <laughs> if you like last click and you like post exposure, then use conversion optimization. If you like incrementality, do not use any kind of conversion optimization. It does not drive incrementality in most cases. Uh, not to say that it never does, and not to say that you can't get things to be incremental if you use it. But I would not start there. I would I would exhaust other options first and then you know move to that if you're still not seeing incrementality. Can you double click on not to interrupt you because you're yeah. on, a, on a roll here, but can you <laughs> double click on the conversion rate optimization? Just just definition yeah. of that, because I think that could get for sure. Yeah. So not the conversion rate optimization. I think if you're talking CRO, that's different. That's you know tweaking landing pages and yep. stuff. So definitely do that. But as it relates to conversion optimized ad delivery, where you're passing feedback through a pixel or Cappy or something to an ad platform, and then the ad platform's using that to optimize. The way that the optimization systems work at these ad platforms, they optimize on a post-exposure basis, meaning the signal that they get back that they use as a feedback loop is, did somebody see an ad and then convert? Okay, that seems to make sense. Now, the problem is, it's the, the delivery system is sh- is good at predicting people that will convert, and so you're showing ads to people that would convert anyway, and you're saying, okay, it works. So I'm going to feed that back, and so that's why there's a lack of causality from these conversion optimization algorithms. Love it. And I've seen it time and time again. You put this thing out there, and there's by the way, a lot of companies are putting research out that shows that the incrementality is here. The plat, or rather, the platform. ROAS is here. The incremental ROAS is way down here for all these conversion optimized products that are out there. And I've seen time and time again, you, you cut it off, you switch to something more generic, you switch to either engagement optimization or, or ideally reach and frequency and you manage the reach and the frequency and you look at trying to get saturation into a target audience and manage you know, kind of the delivery with that. It almost all the time will work better from an incrementality perspective 
than a, a conversion optimization perspective. The pitfalls of chasing that CAC and that CPA, right? Oh, yeah. People are overly dogmatic about that. Yes, sir. They could lose out on incrementality. They, they could lose out. And the funny thing is, when you switch to that kind of reach and frequency style, what I, what I just described, your CAC goes through the roof. Your last click CAC goes through the roof. And so people get freaked out. They go, oh, this ain't working. No, it's not not working. It is actually giving you people that would not have converted had they not seen the ads, which is what you want. You don't want to show people ads who are already going to convert. You want to selectively, ideally, you want to selectively show it to people who are kind of just on the threshold, but then have most of your your budget not spent on people that are going to convert with only a little bit of. So it's actually the opposite of, of the way that conversion optimization a conversion-based uh, optimization delivery work. You want to do the opposite of what it's doing. Love that. You're on a roll. These principles are, are going to be uh, tacked up on the wall in a number of places, I think. <laughs> we'll see, man. We'll see. I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to find some contentious, uh, something contentious to say about it, but I welcome There it. may be some comments. Yeah. We welcome the discussion. That's part of being scientists, right? Absolutely. Yep. I, I welcome being proven wrong <laughs> if somebody can show me data. I love it. And maybe a good segue too. you've laid out some principles. You've talked Netflix with Meta, Snap and Google, obviously a ton of interesting learnings there. What can you share based on that experience? I think the, the big takeaway I have from all these ad platforms is, is sort of related to the principles, which is they're kind of a victim of their own success a, a little bit, right? You know, that this massive multi-hundred billion dollar digital marketing industry has been built on the backs uh, on the back of post-exposure optimization and measurement. Because back early days of search advertising, it actually worked. Like it was there was a good case to be made that if you clicked on an ad and then you converted, you probably converted because you clicked on the ad, because that's just the way the ecosystem was back back then. It's gotten way yeah. more complicated now, and that logic doesn't hold anymore. But you've got these big behemoth ad tech stacks that are built on that on that foundation, and you can't really pivot off of it if you know to do something more more sophisticated, like say a more more causal. But there's also a, not a great motivation to do that. I would say from the ad platform side, and not that this was ever explicitly talked about. This is me kind of just observing. <laughs> yeah. I think I know where you're going with this one. Advertisers aren't demanding big changes in in you know in fundamental changes in the ad tech stack. In fact, yeah. a lot of them are demanding better last click measurement. Can we keep that alive in a post ATT world? Yeah. Things like that. My numbers look good. Look at all the revenue My, I'm yeah, in charge exactly. of. I can hire more. I can have more tools under my belt. There's a whole ecosystem built around that. And that's what makes it really hard for the ad tech platforms to move away from that. Not to mention it's objectively a hard problem to solve. Yeah, love it. You said something earlier in your principles that I, I think relates to the work you're doing with Growth by Science. I'd love to maybe double down on that concept of simplicity. We've talked about this a little bit, but can you share more about what does simplicity mean for you in what you bring to the table for your clients at Growth by Science? Simplicity, uh, I think, is super important. And, and you know, it's a part of a lot of the the cultural culture docs and and sort of approach that I've that I've tried to to bring to you know different places that I've worked and even now in in growth by, growth by science one thing I really believe in is simplicity and specificity and I think you can do a lot with really specific tests that are simple that are kind of coarse grain 
uh, you, can, you can really get a ton of value out of those uh, before having to do anything crazy. I think a lot of marketers overestimate the complexity that's required to get value out of, uh, out of an incrementality test. And not that the setup for the test infrastructure and, and the tooling, yes, that can be very complicated, but the tests themselves to get a lot of value out of them, you, you don't have to do anything crazy like some multivariate full factorial test where you've got this creative variant and this targeting and blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, there can be a place for tests like that, but you'd be surprised at how many marketers don't do basic tests, like a full full marketing program holdout test. Something like that can be hugely powerful. And in fact, that's the first test that whenever I, I'm working with a growth marketing client that we run is a full, full marketing holdout across all digital marketing, ideally all marketing if it's not just digital, but at least across all digital, we, we do a holdback and we see what is the efficacy of the overall marketing program. And you know that can that can lead you down a couple of different paths because if it is if it is if it's working, you don't need to make big changes to it, right? You just need to find out how to make it work better. But if it's not working, if if it's below the ROI, the minimum acceptable ROI that that you need, then you have to make some bigger tweaks and you have to potentially think about well, let's shut down some channels, let's see if there's any. Uh, kind of directional info about where we're bleeding and, and what's kind of bringing that incremental CAC up and, and what's and what's pushing it forward. And so you, you can have almost like two different learning agendas, one that's more iterative if the overall program is working versus one that's more aggressive if it's not working. And Love I think something like that is a great place for most people to start is just with that, uh, that concept. I love that. And when you say hold out, Andrew, are you talking about like a geo holdout or a segment holdout? In, in this day and age, geo holdouts are, are the best and in some cases the only way that you can really do a cross-channel incrementality test, which is what you need to do. And so I would, I'm a big fan of geo holdouts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great tools out there that, that can help you with that. You can also, you know, there's open source, you know, open source tooling out there as well that, that you can use. And, you know, I've, I've done pretty sophisticated geo holdouts just in Excel. <laughs> with, and the analysis just itself. So you don't have to have to invest in a big fancy tool to get the stuff done. You can you can do a lot of it in a pretty hacky way and get you know get a pretty good answer out of it anyway. Yeah, and I just want to tout like I think what you're kind of attempting to do with growth growth by science and and there's just so much learnings and, and power and and experience and what you've achieved and thought of and been through. And I feel like you're kind of distilling it down into these you know simple principles for a lot of teams to take advantage of with growth by science in a way that doesn't require as much bloat and cost as I think some people try to approach it to, with. Is that fair to say? hundred percent. I mean, you can always start small. A lot of this stuff is really easy to start small with and it can grow to be complicated and you can build a really sophisticated thing like what I described with Netflix and build that tech and, and that feedback loop, but that, that you don't have to start there, especially if you're a smaller smaller advertiser. In fact, one mistake I see a lot of advertisers do that are, you know, kind of in just getting started and, and maybe not in call it, let's say, you know, seven figure a year sort of uh, ad spend or, or even a little bit less. They try to spread that around too many different platforms. That's totally unnecessary. Pick two or even just one platform that you feel aligns with the audience that you're trying to reach and, and, and get started there and spend a little bit less you concentrate your spend in, in smaller areas, smaller geos, see how it works. And you'll, you'll end up learning a lot more 
if you approach your growth marketing like that versus something you know right out the gate that's just spreading uh, dollars across multiple platforms and but not getting a ton of saturation into the different into the different segments and markets that you're that you're approaching you're you're not going to learn what's working and what isn't working i think the key is to find something that you can hang your hat on that you know is driving incrementality and then build off of that and and you know start small and build exponentially like once you're driving incrementality in an roi positive capacity even if it's just on one platform guess what you can reinvest that money and you can be confident you know it's not wasted dollars it's dollars that you've earned that you've re-earned from from doing something in a smart way and, and so i, I think that's love that's it. a great great approach for for especially for smaller marketers yeah i love it it echoes like a lot of times what we see look under the hood of a, of a company it's just it's just amazing how much money we can save them and how many things we can rebuild for their benefit that are just a little bit smarter so kind of wrapping up i know you have to hop andrew but what what are some of the biggest mentors or sources of inspiration for you you've achieved so much in your career and bring a lot to the table. What are, what are some that have inspired you? You know, I, I said this before, but I'll, I'll reiterate it. Cause I do think it, you know, every time I reflect on it, I, I think I, I realize another way in which it's influenced my career, but I think the culture and Netflix and, and not all of it, by the way, I didn't, there were certain parts of it that didn't, you know, fully jive with the way that I you know, like to approach work, but a lot of the kind of language and approach to experimentation, you know, disagree and commit those kind of, those kind of principles Freedom and responsibility. Disagree and commit is not a Netflix uh, one, but but there's those you know the same kind of ideas that are that are pervasive in it. But you know, freedom and responsibility, context, not control. These are sort of some of their principles, and all of the you know everything around testing and the general testing culture. I think is is really really shaped a lot of the way that I've approached not just technical challenges and kind of products and, and strategies that I've built. But I think, you know, some of the softer uh, skill type principles also shaped my management style. And, you know, at Snap, I was leading a, a pretty big team, the measurement team globally, which had a bunch of sub teams. And I really, really loved applying some of those principles, at least the ones that resonated with me. And we kind of made them our own and, and you know, adapted them to, to the Snap culture, which is kind, smart, and creative. And, you know, I think it worked out really well. I think there's a lot of portability to some of those principles. And I I really hope to apply the, what we built over at Snap from a culture perspective, as well as the Netflix stuff into, into you know, subsequent uh, roles and into future kind of cultural uh, opportunities. I love that. That one comment you had earlier in the, in the pod about soliciting dissent, is that what you said? Yeah, soliciting dissent. Yeah, again, not explicitly. It's not explicitly a Netflix one, but, but it is, it's again, built in there. And it is, uh, I, I think it's, it's so important as a scientist, like if you look at in the scientific community, there's this concept of peer review and that's literally solicitation of dissent. Here's my study. Here's my, my paper. Tell me what I did that was wrong. What did I miss? What do I have the blinders on for? Right. People will go in there and, and shred it basically. Right. And, and that's just going to make your hypothesis and your experiment that much stronger. And I don't think enough people do that. Because it can be, a, you know, frankly, a, a blow to your ego. It's not easy to do. 100%. Right? You say, what's wrong with this? And somebody finds 10 things that are wrong with it, you're going to feel like, oh, did I fail? But I think, I think what, what it boils down to is, is changing your, your perspective. It's not a failure. I've, I've just made myself stronger, more resilient, more robust. I've made my work more robust against, you know, I've just made it, uh, made it more robust in general. I love that. It's such a, I feel that 
feel that so inherently. I love that growth mindset and willing to be coached, willing to take criticism, willing to learn, you know, in the face of, of things that are very, that you hold dear in your work and in your findings and your experimentation. I'll say like, uh, you know, one thing that I've had managers tell me this, multiple managers tell me this, but uh, is Andrew's got strong opinions weekly held. And I don't know if that's meant as a, as a compliment or as a, you know, constructive criticism, but I always took it as a compliment because, you know, I love having strong opinions because I've got to them, those strong opinions by doing what I believe to be a thorough analysis, right? And that's why I feel strongly about something, but they're weekly held because if somebody says, Hey, actually you didn't consider this and you, you know, you were missing this part of it. I'll be very quick to, to kind of go back on it. I think the, the, the challenge that I have is, pretty forward guy, pretty assertive guy. And so not, I don't always invite, or I, I don't, I, I sometimes intent, unintentionally uninvite that, uh, that dissent, which I, I don't ever want to do. And I try to clarify that as much as I can. I, I want people to prove me wrong, but I don't always come across that way. So it's, it's something that I, I, I love that. need to work on. <laughs> I love that. Dude, love that EQ and self-awareness and, and, and growth and, and being willing to acknowledge and, when you bring a lot of uh, you know intelligence and and wins and and research and and facts to the table, it's uh, understandable. And I love that concept of those strong opinions loosely held. Andrew, I've been just blown away and appreciative of your time today. For the audience out there that wants to look up Andrew Cavado and all things you, what, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm trying to putting uh, try to put more content on there. Just Andrew Cavado. And of course, you're welcome to check out our website at growthbyscience.com for a flavor of, of kind of what we do in our approach. And yeah, if, uh, if you hear anything on the podcast that you agree with, or more importantly, that you disagree with, I would love to hear from you. Please, uh, you know, shoot me a, a post on, on LinkedIn or a message or email, and, and I'd love to start a conversation. Legend. Even in his sign-off, he's uh, soliciting dissent, <laughs> living up to those cultural values. Andrew Cavado, you're the man. Love the conversation and uh, can't wait to get this out there. Talk soon. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Always. 